Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Talk Show, your guide to the ever-changing world of social media. On today's show, YouTube is going all in on podcasts in a way that I can't even believe. Also, updates to YouTube Shorts that can make a big difference in your views, and a section of YouTube that I think most of us as marketers are underutilizing, but YouTube has been adding new things to it lately, and I think this is something we should all be considering adding to our marketing mix if we aren't. It's all about YouTube today. My name is Jerry Potter. Yes, it rhymes with the boy wizard, host of the Social Media Marketing Talk Show, a production of Social Media Examiner. We break down the latest social media news and what it means for marketers like you. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. Today, I'm joined by Diana Gladney, a YouTube expert and consultant. Her YouTube channel is designed to help entrepreneurs simplify the video creation process. She gave a great presentation on AI at Social Media Marketing World this year, and she's the host of the Video Simplified podcast. Welcome back to the show, Diana. Why, thank you so much for having me here. I'm pumped to be here. So this is a lot of exciting, interesting stuff, but let's start with YouTube all of a sudden has a new CEO and he came out and anytime, you know, the captain of the ship changes, it's like, okay, what's going to happen here? So you looked into him and everything that he said so far. So what are some of the things that you've seen in terms of the future of YouTube, according to him? Yeah. Yeah. I think Neil's getting it off a little bit easy, picking up from where Susan left off, but um, he comes (laughs) in at a very interesting time where YouTube is no longer only focused on like the ad side of things and promoting that only it's more creator centric and focused. And that's where he's saying he's putting a lot of attention on the platform, becoming more conducive to that kind of environment. So it's some things he talked about specifically around AI. If you have used TikToks, uh, the side by side feature where you're doing the even like the Instagram reels, it's a remix is what they would call it. That is something he's talking about bringing to the YouTube shorts platform which I honestly think makes sense because it'll add for more user to user integration, not just the responding and cutting and using bits and pieces of other people's shorts, but again, just better user integration. In addition to, which I think marketers will be really interested in something that may be more akin to 
some stuff we've seen with Zoom, but better, where you can digitally replace your clothes or even the background. So I don't <laughs> I think you should come dressed to whatever stream you're doing already. But I think the background change would be very nice just for number one. It could be from different examples. You're adding a more immersive experience doing different innovative segments for your shows and stuff, or even just, again, just switching it up and not having to worry about if you're traveling, you could maybe digitally put your own background back there. But we don't know yet, but it's all to come. And this is all built directly into YouTube is what he's saying, or it's going to be because the AI is getting you know so good that you don't need a green screen to remove the background and things like that. Yep. And I think with the augmented reality bit where it's like you can interact with the environment and vice versa already on your mobile device, they probably already have the technology built in. It's just now making that available in a wider scale and not just on a smaller scale like on shorts, but something that you really deal with for your regular lungs or 16 by nine videos. I've seen some of the technology where, you know, somebody goes from having a plant next to them to having a basket of kittens next to them or whatever. It's pretty phenomenal. But I love the background thing because the hardest part about green screens, even if you know what you're doing, if the lighting that's on you or I doesn't match whatever's in the background, then it doesn't really work. But I could, I would think AI could adjust the lighting on the background almost to match, Yeah, which is that last step before we're just all AI and we just yeah. type in what we want to say, right? <laughs> yeah. But I can see this making sense even from a marketing standpoint. All of us have promotions like we just came back from social media marketing world. Well, what if in some older videos we could do some kind of an overlay or integration of AI in the background to put a banner up or put something, you know, on the desk or something like that that's, you know, subliminally pushing whatever your event is, product is, new service, whatever, something like that. So it's going to be interesting to see exactly how they do it. But those are just some ideas I'm, I'm thinking through. Well, and to go further on that, at some point, you wonder, could they set it up so you could change what was in the background later? Mm -hmm. You know, kind of like now we have with podcasting with dynamic audio insertion, where you can change what goes into the podcast when somebody downloads it, because yep. that would change everything. I don't know. I might even give YouTube a spot on my wall behind me if, if I could like change it later. Like you put what's on this side of my head and I get to put whatever I want on this side of my head later on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's super neat with what AI is making possible. And again, if you have a product or a service or something that's new and maybe an older video is taking off for the business, being able to go into YouTube studio, drop in that thing to, you know, give push to it. I think it's just super smart. Yeah. If you were at Social Media Marketing World and you have access to the replays and you weren't in the packed room when Diana talked about <laughs> AI and video, definitely go back and check that out. And then one other thing, just to share for people that couldn't be with us in San Diego, Paul Ratzer gave a talk about AI and marketing. He's the founder of the AI Marketing Institute and wrote a book. And I mean, he's been studying this for 11 years when the most of us, you know, last November right. when Chat GPT came out, we were like, wait, what's going on? Mm -hmm. He said, it was this great quote that he paraphrased, but it said, AI will not replace marketers, but marketers who use AI will replace marketers who don't. Mm. And so, you know, the technology is here. It's going to make, let us do our jobs better and easier, which is great. So, okay. Lots of other important YouTube updates that we're going to get to on the show today. Real quick, if you are tired of the same business strategy, speaking of the future, look into Web3. So you can actually get ahead of the competition right now by signing up for our free Web3 for Beginners course. No experience needed. This starts from the very beginning. So you can jump right into the conversations that people are having after going through this course. You'll learn everything you need to confidently get started with Web3. And you can sign up right now. Just go to socialmediaexaminer.com slash web three course. That's the number three, socialmediaexaminer.com slash web three course. So the other thing we knew was coming for a long time, but I couldn't believe the degree of it is YouTube is going all in 
on podcasts. You know, we saw that the first the little tab pop up and things like that. So walk us through exactly what a podcast is going to mean on YouTube. Yeah. Well, number one is going to be more reach. And I think more engagement on a much deeper level than what we have seen. We are constantly fighting for audience retention on YouTube, meaning how long can you retain the attention of the viewer, whether that person is used to you and it's a more warm market approach or viewer or it's somebody that's cold to you, whether they're searching for information or what have you. So the ability now for number one to take your YouTube, not your podcast and bring that to YouTube, whether you're bringing those audio episodes or a hybrid approach like we're doing with this show and you're already seeing that video. Well, you can now select in the playlist. You probably already have it segmented out. Set that as a dedicated podcast The keep the name and all that stuff the same. I wouldn't derail or change any of that because you want it to be a seamless integration. But the reach is now crazy. Most people, when they sit down and they're plugging in for a podcast, they're in it for 10, 15, 20 minutes, if not longer, and they're not skipping ahead or skipping around. So this is a big deal for marketers, especially that already have a podcast. So video podcasts have been on YouTube for a while. People have been putting up audio podcasts, but some of this new stuff they're rolling out is specifically for audio podcasts, even if you don't have a video component. Is that right? Yeah. So one of the things that's been really interesting is like we see the YouTube music badge, but unless you're already listening to music or something like that, you're not really engaging with it. Well, now having that extra level of discoverability for your podcast by way of YouTube and through YouTube music, that makes a huge deal because if you do have audio, it's no big deal. That's an audio based integration. In addition to if you have video, they can click over, maybe see those visual examples if you're giving some on occasion or, or whatever the case is. So the ability to have that analytics that are specific to podcasts and a few other features that are going to be very unique to podcast only content and not interrupt your other stuff like we kind of saw with regular videos and YouTube shorts and they were mixed. We don't have that issue with the YouTube podcast. Yeah. So if I was to start a podcast, I've got a YouTube channel. If I was to start a podcast, if it was the same topic on a different channel, what I'm wondering about, you know, you talked about retention and watch time and completion rates and all that stuff, which we're all looking for. And so if somebody's YouTube channel is already doing well, and they start putting up 45 minute podcast episodes. We don't know this officially, but do you feel like that could hurt the reach of their original video channel that's already doing well. Yes and no. One, what is the kind of podcast? And then what is the context of that podcast? Most of us are somewhere in the same vein of the what we're doing in a podcast, what we're talking about. But at the same time, these are longer form pieces of content. If most of my videos are five to seven minute videos or they're occasionally seven, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 minutes, that's very digestible compared to, and it's a very different expectation from a viewer perspective when I click and I'm used to seeing this kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, it may be hardly no transitions, no B-roll, no music. It's not as engaging. And I'm not watching that. Number one, YouTube does need to figure out like how they're going to deal with the mixed audience signals of what they show you versus what they don't, because it has been an interruption in past days of putting that on your channel. And it's deflating as a creator and as a marketer for what you're doing for your business. You're like, is it even worth it for us to do a video version of the podcast? I suggest personally... If you do a live stream, try it out that way as a way to introduce it because live and video podcasts are along the same veins of content. People are used to, you know, sitting back for the long haul and they're giving you that time. So maybe consider doing an episode live or a premiere, maybe test it in that kind of a way. If you're not seeing what you want to see with it, 
I would honestly recommend it. it's not always recommended, but try it on a different channel. So that way it's not interrupting the flow, the engagement, how much people are finding your regular content, because podcast is going to have its own reach and analytics. You just don't want to be confusing and frustrating the audience. I think that's the biggest thing to understand about your demographic and the type of content they're putting out. What is really going to piss them off? What's going to frustrate the viewer? Because that disrupts the rest of all the analytics you may pay attention to more than anything else. And that was kind of, you know, I'm thinking like I own this ice cream shop and then all of a sudden in the corner, you know, selling something else or whatever it might be. Now, obviously you wouldn't put a podcast about a totally different topic on the same channel, but that's a good argument to start a new one. Plus then you know what's happening. Are you getting discovered by new people and all of that? Another piece of this that I think is going to be really interesting is since YouTube is leaning in this way, this is going to be an opportunity for marketers to buy audio only ads. Mm. And I know video is the thing, but there's something about audio. And I say this as a former radio personality, so you can call me biased, but there's an intimacy, just like with podcasts, when people listen in their headphones or in their car by themselves, there's an intimacy that video I don't think ever fully achieves. Mm -hmm. And so it'll be interesting to see. And, you know, you can buy ads, obviously, on Spotify and Pandora and things like that. But I see YouTube really opening that up to the mainstream for marketers yeah. as they move forward with this. For sure. And again, the viewer frustration level, if it is such a thing, when somebody's watching something like if, again, social media market, let's say you're doing a, how to build a Facebook page, build an ad, they're walking through this process with you. They're taking notes. Their thought process of how they're engaging with this video, this content is very different than if I'm listening to could be the same kind of information. Yeah. But if they hear us, like we're going to get to it right after we talk about our new event coming up, Social Media Marketing World 24, you got to be there. And then we roll the audio ad for it. They're not frustrated that that pause is there because there's an expectation that I might hear it. And even if I do, they're not as much skipping that as they would for a video. They'll leave even a nasty comment like, I'm sick of all these ads or everything is a promoted video. <laughs> I just want to learn this. Audio ads is a super smart way. I think if you're going to do it, I think that will be something that everybody, everybody needs to start leveraging, even to push your own stuff. Yeah. I love that. All right. Let's talk about YouTube shorts. Lots of updates to shorts. And, you know, you and I have really gotten to explore shorts from earlier in this conversation. You mentioned when shorts was this weird thing on the side of channels and we didn't know what it was happening. So what are some of these new updates that are going to help us get more views on our YouTube shorts? Yeah, shorts has, has come a long way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the one thing that I really love is the ability to reply to comments from whether it's regular video or from a short as a short. So you hit the button and now you're able to have that reply, probably add in any features and stuff of the app that you can. I like that ability a really lot. And then the thumbnail selection for shorts on iOS. I had a situation where <laughs> I uploaded a short and for the frame that it auto selected because they took that feature away on desktop for a while where you can't select your thumbnail for your YouTube short. And so it picked the whole complete white frame There's no text, no face, no nothing. That was the thumbnail. It tanked. It just, I might as well just deleted it because it did nothing. But so now you can select your thumbnail on iOS. Of course, that'll probably come out to Android at some point. I did it today and I'm super grateful. <laughs> so where do the thumbnails show up? Because obviously if I go to somebody's channel, I mm -hmm. see the thumbnails. But if I'm just browsing shorts, you never see the thumbnail, right? Right. I think that's the biggest thing. And I think for YouTube, that's very different than any other platform you have that hybrid integration of people that are used to watching longer form content that's in a 16 by nine horizontal frame versus the vertical. So if I'm on your channel, 
and I click on your name and I'm like, I like this Jerry Potter guy. Let me see what else he's making on his channel. I'll see your other playlist and I'll see that row of thumbnails. So that makes sense. The other really, really important one, I don't think a lot of people think about this. When you find a short, even if you're randomly scrolling through the feed or click on something you do like, if you say, I like this kind of stuff, let me see what else they have mm. in the shorts feed. Yeah. When you click over to that, you have those thumbnails there too. And that is more important than I think, honestly, for what you have on your regular main desktop page. Yeah. The shorts only feed, shorts only videos. When somebody's in the thread, they're already in this mindset. That is way more important because whatever is most interesting or looks appealing, that's what I'm going to click on. I literally did that, like I said, today. And most people aren't thinking about it, but it's like put something either in the video that you know you want to use later on. It could be a one clip of a B-roll or something that you can scroll through with your finger in the uploading process. It's like when you get ready to go add a title. Yeah. All you do is click on your image or the little icon for the thumbnail and you can easily scan. And it doesn't feel as frustrating as some apps have tried to make you use a line to pick the frame. It just has a big box. It's kind of like how what you've seen on Instagram reels. So you can pick the frame. It's really easy. I don't even know how they figured that bit out, but it's not a frustrating <laughs> experience, thankfully. Yeah. Well, and that's a great reason to make a short because, yeah, if it's just a white box, you know, it's a polar bear in a snowstorm. It's <laughs> like nobody's going to click on that. Right. So, I mean, that's a great argument. And I love the idea of sort of planning when, you know, you're going to have your hook or your title on the screen anyway, and you can just pull it quickly from that. So they are now letting us download shorts from mobile for our videos for the first time with or without a watermark. With a watermark. Ah. So, <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that one when I heard the announcement myself. I'm like, with with or without? And it was like, yeah, it's just going to have our YouTube war, but no big deal. And I'm like, okay, whatever. So <laughs> the thing about it is there's always these companies that make a way for you to remove the watermark, yeah. but then it degrades the quality. I just think it's super smart on the front end. Before you hit upload to a short, even if you're using a bunch of data features, download it at that point, upload it to like a raw shorts folder in like Dropbox or something so that you have your own stuff because... Yeah, it's great if like you lose the file on accident and it's like, crap, the watermark's there. But everybody, all of these platforms, they're blocking you for having a watermark. So I don't like that it's with a watermark. It sucks, but it's the way it is. Yeah. So YouTube has been adding more to analytics for shorts for quite a while. But I think these new ones may be the most useful that we've seen, period. So what are these new analytics that we can now see on our YouTube shorts? Yes, this is called the shown in feed. And then the viewed versus swiped away. And in my opinion, for social media markets, for any creator, this is the bee's knees Hall of Fame analytics when it comes to shorts. It's the best of the best. Because number one, if it tells you how many times your stuff was shown in feed, you already know like your estimated reach or what have you, how many people saw your content. And it's all about understanding the logical progression of the viewer to better understand how can I approach the next time we publish something in a better way that gets better performance that obviously trickles down into whether they buy your stuff, watch your regular videos, get a course, what have you. Shonen feed shows me how many times people are seeing my stuff actually in the native format. So that's important just because I want to know, are you going to mobile to watch uh, shorts or are you watching it on desktop? The other thing viewed hmm. versus swiped away. Oh, this is so rich we started damaging no oh, no no <laughs> maybe to the ego yes yeah but it's it's so rich we started tracking this immediately in the business when we do our team huddles and we track for the videos that we upload each individual short 
when somebody chooses a viewed versus a swiped away, I'm looking at what now for that audience retention or, you know, about how much they watch the video. If it's like four to five seconds, what did we do within those first four to five seconds that were so disinteresting? They were just like, no, I'm not worth it because it's a half of a second of a thought to like either I'm going to stay or I'm going to go. Yeah. So we started changing how we front load that to completely take away the intros, completely take away sometimes redundant style questions or something, lead with the most important part of the thing. And then that be the determining factor of whether or not they want to keep watching. Instantly, we saw a dramatic change from sometimes you may have 50 to 60 percent of the view that people have to now we're getting them in that loop factor, like I call it, which is get to the end and they want to watch it again. So just having if they viewed it or if they swiped it away, change how we did the intro. So now we know how to front load these with better value so we can get them to stay instead of swiping away. Well, and in the shorts feed, that's the first key to all our success Mm -hmm. is the first few seconds. Do you know how much it has to play for them to count it as a view versus a swipe away? I don't know the actual percentage, but what I've seen just from talking to other creators that are not marketers versus those that have like a business back of it, what we see is the same is similar to what it is kind of on a thumbnail. You get about two, three seconds of somebody seeing something and making that decision. So I would imagine for shorts, it's the same kind of thing because they have to figure out what it is. Why do I care? Do I want to watch it or do I want to keep scrolling? Yeah. And that's all it is. It's like I'm waiting. Basically, you have a no and you need to convince me to a yes. That's basically like two to three seconds, if that long. Yeah. And so we'll put on our thick skin and we'll start tracking this because nobody's going to log in and be like, wow, 98% viewed, right? It's not going to happen. You know, doesn't matter how big your channel is at that point. And then this is not shorts, but another analytics piece that they are now rolling out is about audience demographics, which we've always, always had, but now it's sort of being split into different areas. So update us on that. Yeah. What we've seen is like these little chips or they use the word chips. It's kind of like little tabs, if you will, which if you Remember when we went from the YouTube videos to like the shorts and we're getting those segmented pieces, we're now getting that from an audience demographic. So from the age and the gender and all of that, it's not conjumbled into one thing. And it's just like, oh, yeah, by the way, here's your people and here's what kind of demographics that you have. You see the each individual metrics because I think for marketers, it is important. Sometimes you have more masculine dominant content or you may have more feminine dominant content and knowing who you're attracting, or if you're attracting or repelling the right people per video for your overall channel, I think is super important. I ran into this surprisingly early on. I thought I was speaking to more women and found out 98, 99% were men. Wow. That's not a small percentage. (laughs) No, I'm like, all righty then. We don't have to use such gentle language. I can just give it to you black coffee straight. I think it's very important. We just see like, well, what did I say? What did I do that made people click off? Sometimes it's not resonating with who you're talking to. So having a better picture and a much clearer picture from an analytics standpoint of who you're engaging with and who you're communicating and watching your stuff, super valuable. Well, and if you go in and you can see now that, wow, my shorts are reaching a very different demographic Mm -hmm. than my longs or my VODs, my videos on demand, as they call them, then that's a moment to reflect and be like, okay, why is that happening? Is this an opportunity? Mm-hmm. You know, what exactly is going on there? Because I would think for the overall health of our channels, having both types of content in general appeal to the same demographic is going to be important to our long-term success. Absolutely. I think taking something like Donald's 
approach, depending on the region that's watching, will dictate the who you see in that ad. It could be the same voiceover, just different actors. And so I think using different B-roll, we do this specific to each client. And I'm like, you need to take that kind of B-roll that everybody holding hands looks cute online, but to the person watching is very disingenuous because they feel like you just making those hands where everybody's shaking everybody's hands. It looks weird. Talk to who you're actually talking to, represent who you're actually representing. So the knowing can help when we add in these, not just audio ad segments, but even visually and how you craft stuff, even down to a shorts aspect. I'm excited to jump into this part of YouTube that I think is highly underutilized. And now YouTube is giving us signals that that's definitely true in a second, but they have rolled out now multi-language audio. So we've always been able to have captions in different languages, but now you can essentially have somebody voice your video in different languages, just like we would see on Netflix. Yes. And I think they gave a great example in the article, which was the big, big Netflix hit, which was Squid Games. I like this when I do go to certain platforms like that and I'm clicking. I do want to listen to it in English because I'm used to, you know, reading Japanese subtitles for anime, but it is nice nice when it's in English. So as a content creating entrepreneur, being able to have this on your platform, whether you have a bilingual person on your team, you can have them audibly go through and, and, you know, give that audio file. You have to present it. YouTube's not going to give it to you. And then you can upload it to that video instead of, they gave it also example, Mr. Beast talked about how he used to have a different channel for each, you know, specific language. That's a lot of work. And granted, even for a large team, it's still a lot of work, let alone 15 or less team of marketers for a business and a brand where that's not your main focus. But if I can have somebody on the team, have time on the side to do transcriptions in a different language, and uploading it to the same file, it's the same reach. Even just having the captions in a different language is super helpful, but audibly, I think honestly for the right people, it's gonna make a huge difference. Well, and there are companies that will do that for you, I know, because one of the most attention-grabbing emails I ever got, this was probably over three years ago, said, hey, Jerry, have you ever seen yourself speaking Japanese? And I'm like, what? And I clicked on it, they'd taken one of my YouTube videos and had somebody do a dub in Japanese. And I just remember going, No, I have not. (laughs) So that definitely got my attention, which is cool. So, you know, YouTube has, uh, you know, we talked today about they're adding podcasts now, you know, audio only podcasts. Mm. And it's been the long form videos, you know, the VODs, the videos on demand, the the widescreen videos, I guess, have been there forever. And then shorts and all these different things. But one of the other things that's been there for a long time, and I think you get this when you get 500 subscribers on a channel, but it's that community tab. And that's just YouTube's traditional feed posts. Like you would say, it's almost like a Facebook feed. And it gets ignored by a lot of marketers, I think. But I've been hearing from people that are using it that they've been having great success growing their list with it. And then YouTube, of course, it keeps adding new features to it. You know, when they haven't touched it for a couple of years, it's like, okay, they don't care about that, right? Mm -hmm. So what are they adding here? What are some of the new enhancements we're getting with the community feed there with the regular posts? Yeah, so I think for most people, they're used to a written-only form of content that you could share, even with polls it being written-only. Well, now you can do image-based polls where... If I say option A and I have the image of what option A looks like and then option B and an image of what that looks like, in addition to that same written text above, maybe a short description or a question, you now can have people vote, but they also can see what the difference is between one thing or another. So a new camera came out this week and the first poll that I did was a written only thing just to kind of see where they felt. And it's like, yay, nay, I need to see it. I don't know. So when the specs and all that stuff actually released, What I did was, so I didn't have to do one post that's like a carousel and they can see everything and another one that's a poll. 
I did the image poll so they could see when you vote, this is what you're saying. You're voting for this and they can see the details. And so I just kind of did a little, little compound interest there, but it worked out great. And so reaches in the f- community feed reach works so much better when the same way you post something, if they engage with it, YouTube, whether it's on the main page or whether it's on the app, they will show them, even if you haven't watched their video more recently, they will show them that community post tab. And I don't think a lot of marketers look at it that way. They just assume if you're already subscribed, then you'll see my stuff. That's not so. Even if somebody is not subscribed to your channel and your content, but they're interested in the kind of content that you create, Mm. they will show you those different type posts. So having an image poll is a great, easy and fast way to get engagement. Now, YouTube is like, if you like this, you engage with this. Would you watch their stuff? Just pay attention to how that trickles down from the viewer perspective. It's a super easy way to start bringing in new and returning users. Well, there's no doubt if anywhere they engage on your channel, that increases the chances that one of your shorts, assuming it matches the topic, is going to come up in their shorts feed. And it increases the chances that one of your videos on demand is going to come up when they do a search. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is fantastic. And then the other signal that we're seeing right now from YouTube is they are expanding the analytics specifically for feed posts for that community feed. Mm -hmm. So you can see when it comes to people engaging with stuff, you can see which post did the best from your community tab, which ones got the most engagement and not just from like a like or dislike or whatever, but actually which one were people engaging with the most? So you can say, well, they really like this or this seems like an easy thing instead of like a blog post in the community tab. It's like, this is an easy way to get their opinion on something, engage with them, talk to them, even if you couldn't post that day or something goes awry. Yeah, I love it. All right. YouTube is removing those annoying ads that show up on top of our videos. That is going to be going away on April 6th, which seems crazy because it seems like they've been there for 15 years or Mm -hmm. whatever it might be. And then a big update to the profanity policy that came out this week. And my channel is about as G as you can get. (laughs) So I kind of barely looked at this. But once I started to some other people and to you, and I mean, this is a big deal for certain marketers and certain creators. Yeah. And I think Gary Vaynerchuk is a great example of this. Now, he's in since years altered what he puts out on certain platforms like LinkedIn, for example. It's a cleaner form of a video. But on YouTube, sometimes it's a no holds bar. And here's the other aspect that I don't think YouTube paid attention to. If within the first 15 seconds, which is what happened here, you have profanity, your video could be demonetized where they're not running ads because it's considered not ad friendly. People grow and people change. And sometimes these rules don't allow for the maturity of an individual, of a business, or even for Mm. your values to grow as a, a person to say, I'm being judged for something that I did years ago, or maybe I was upset. And rightly so, you shared foul language in the midst of your frustration. There are times when I think even on a professional level, we slide over on that, even if we don't curse ourselves or if we don't prefer it. Because we understand they're not speaking that at you. They're just, that's how they're communicating their frustration or how they feel. So to say in a video, I can see, you know, moving forward, be careful of what you say or, you know, cautious of what your guests say, or just let them know like, hey, we keep it E for everyone, like in the video game space over here. But to say that on old videos and old videos that may be doing well, I disagree with that highly. Just so we understand what it means, though, essentially is it used to be if you had anything in your video, then it was considered profane. But now, you know, if it's not in the title and it's not in the first, you know, the description and it's not in the first 15 seconds, I think you said, then it's sort of a different level. Because, again, the right person isn't going to watch a 45 minute 
you know, there's one one word that a guest dropped in the middle of a 45 mm-hmm. minute live is different than somebody like you mentioned, you know, Gary Vee to start where it's just, you know, every eight seconds, it seems like in some videos. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing that frustrated a lot of people is the fact that they said if a majority, quote unquote, of your video is using profanity, which there is very vague. It's like, well, what's a majority? And then, you know, it's like some words would be considered more aggressive, more egregious than others. What's the bar? It's a pretty long dictionary when it comes to file language. So how far are we going with this? I, I think the fact that they're revisiting it, they are listening to this feedback and they are making adjustments to it, I think is fair. I think what will be more appropriate, honestly, the same way we now had to have, if you're including any kind of promotional, paid promotional stuff, you kind of have that translucent thing there. Something that's similar to a badge is like, hey, there's quite a bit of profanity here. So if that, you know, offends you, then so be it. Or even just like a little banner, like when we had the COVID-19 issues more heavily in 2020, you see a little banner. This person's talking about it. So just be aware. Mm. I think that is a better approach and let each individual decide. You already have to be a certain age requirement to watch certain content anyway on the platform. None of us have ears that have never heard of foul language before. All of us have. Some of us have said it. Some of us speak it like it's a whole other language. But (laughs) I think for those that choose to or not choose to use it or, you know, allow it, just put a little banner or something, a little something we could click on, I think is a better approach. Most marketers, I don't think it's an issue, but if you do have guests that have foul language or something, we shouldn't be held to to that. Yeah. And that's a great example with the guests for sure. And you talked about the vagueness, but anytime lawyers are involved, you're always going to get vague, right? Because vague is what keeps them out of trouble. So, Mm. well, lots of incredible updates about YouTube. Also, the future of the internet is Web3. So don't forget to sign up for our Web3 for Beginners course to unlock the exciting opportunities that are available for you. Go to socialmediaexaminer.com slash web, the number three course, okay? Socialmediaexaminer.com slash web3 course to get started. Diana, where can we discover more about you? You can always find me at dianagladney.com or at dianagladney on YouTube. And if you're looking for a couple of other podcasts to add to your listening lineup, we have the Social Media Marketing Podcast, as well as the Web3 Business Podcast, both available wherever you happen to be listening to podcasts. And until next time, may you be wise with your marketing decisions. Thanks, everyone. The Social Media Marketing Talk Show is a Social Media Examiner production. For more social media insight, visit socialmediaexaminer.com. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.